0: welcome to shift a college admissions act and sat podcast for a changing world i'm tyler the founder of achievable and we have an affordable act course that includes everything you need to ace your act tests a full textbook tons of act questions that are backed by our memory enhancing algorithm a built-in study planner and full-length practice exams you can get a free trial by visiting achievable.me and if you like it the code podcast gets you 10 off at checkout Now let's get started. Today we have Rob Franklin from Admissionado uh, and just really excited to talk to him today. Rob, would love if you could introduce yourself and a little bit about uh, you and your company.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Rob Franklin. Um, I am a writer and uh, an essay editor as well as a college admissions consultant for a company called Admissionado. Um, And we basically, I mean, we have kind of two, um, I mean, we, we pretty much shepherd students through kind of the entire college admissions process, both providing high level comprehensive strategy for, you know, the breakdown of schools that they're applying to, what they should be writing their essays about, who they should be asking for recommendations, et cetera, as well as actually helping them through the drafting process. So that by the time they've kind of gone through a few edits with us on each of their essays, everything's sort of like publish ready, um, ready to put in front of an admissions committee.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and so today on the topic of admissions, we've got a really kind of a very um, important and, and macro one, which is that uh, SCOTUS just recently had their affirmative action ruling, um, which if you aren't sure... Uh, What that is, or if you just haven't heard for some reason about this, basically the Supreme Court reversed the general idea of affirmative action in in entirely. I don't know if that's fair to say, but it's pretty much struck down. Um, And I think maybe to start, just like it would be good to have you give some like background on. What affirmative action was, and then, like, why, or then what the Supreme Court ruling sort of specifically does. Um, and then we can kind of talk through what the ramifications are and the implications.
1: Yeah. So the court's decision, um, it was six, six, two, technically, uh, because <laughs> one of the justices had to recuse herself. Um, and it, it basically struck down kind of four years of press or four decades of precedent. Um, in college admissions and affirmative action. Um, mm-hmm. And so, this decision, which reverses precedent, um, basically determined that race con- consciousness in college admissions um, is no longer legal. Um, and so, it, it was looking at two institutions in particular um, Harvard and UNC. So, the oldest private university in the country and the oldest public university in the country. Um, that had first been sued by an organization called Students for Fair Admissions in 2014. Obviously, that case worked its way up to the Supreme Court, which is why we're hearing about it. Um, and the so the decision essentially agreed with Students for Fair Admissions, um, who'd sued saying that Asian-American students or Asian students um, who had as a group kind of the highest SAT and grade scores higher than any racial group, including white people um, were being discriminated against in college admissions. (laughs) Um, So, you know, their numbers, I mean, we can get into the numbers a little bit later, (laughs) but basically um, that decision was released three weeks ago. It kind of radically alters the sort of calculus in um, college admissions. Um, Chief Justice Roberts um in his dissenting opinion um did say that nothing in this opinion can be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life be it through discrimination inspiration or otherwise so i think we can kind of like probe that statement um (laughs) in what scotus is saying in terms of like the sort of immediate implications of this decision um But yeah, basically affirmative action as it has existed for the the last half century is no more.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that actually is maybe a good place to start a little bit because I am curious what it was about affirmative action itself that the Supreme Court disagreed with, but they didn't disagree with the idea of colleges considering race. So it's like you're allowed to consider it, but not in a systematized way it has to be in an abstract way like that 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 was always kind of bizarre to me
1: yeah it has to be in a a far less um far less elegant kind of like potentially much more complex um way yeah i mean so the precedent that existed until this decision um basically operated on the idea um and a kind of a value system that that most colleges will still um, uphold, which is that mm-hmm. these colleges you know let's let's use Harvard as the example uh because it was actually one of one of the cited institutions in this case like Harvard's promise is not just providing a great education, it's also providing basically this kind of like microcosm of like the best of the best um of, you know, people from around the world, 18 to 22 year olds for the, the undergraduate population for the most part, um, you know, the, the kind of best of the best young people um, from an array of backgrounds, countries, um, first languages, national um, religions and ethnicities, etc. cetera. And, and so critical to that kind of uh, tapestry that they're trying to put together um in addition to you know not wanting every single person to be an athlete or every single person to be a computer programmer is people who have different racial and ethnic identities um Mm-mm. and so i mean you know critics of this decision myself included would say um that striking down kind of race conscious affirmative action um Lessens these institutions ability to create that sort of tapestry um, that they that they strive to create and is also like part of why they're, um, they're sort of sought after institutions, people want that experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's also kind of. It's like you, it's like you said, it's like they they're specifically trying to prevent these institutions from creating that tapestry intentionally. Um it's it it is bizarre because it's a little bit of like shouldn't they have the freedom to do whatever they want right they're private institutions
1: yeah it's like uh it's this kind of technicality basically because they do receive some federal funds um Mm -hmm. so private institutions you know your harvard's your yale's your stanford's uh they still receive some federal funding um so as part of the civil rights act um which basically prohibits discrimination in both public and private institutions. They are still bound by this decision versus public institutions like UNC, you know, are, are more obviously bound by, um, by federal law.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it, it's all kind of, um, it's, it's a strange to me. I felt like the court's decision was strange, right? Like, but because they're kind of trying to argue that essentially there's no, you can't have preferential treatment, but then they left open the door to give preferential treatment based on like what people say in their essays Yeah. (laughs) instead of what they're, they check the box on their common application. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre. I mean, I think that the, or I mean, for me, I think that the key thing here is is that um, they're trying to say. Basically, I think that the point of the point, quote unquote, was to say that you can't favor people based on race. Precisely, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then the colleges are still going to right. Like I mean, that's the thing. Is Harvard basically released a statement that was like we really encourage people to incorporate their journey as a minority in the essay section. Right. And they're legally allowed to consider that. So already like all these colleges are basically like, well, here's how we're going to try and achieve those tapestry goals anyway.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I would say kind of two, two things to that where it's like, yeah, the first reason that it's sort of illogical and we'll see how this story develops, but it's, you know they've they've struck down this one one means of creating diversity in a college class, um, racial diversity, um, on the grounds that it basically gives an advantage to certain racial groups uh, in comparison with others. But they haven't struck down other forms of advantages in college admissions. So, for instance, well, right. recruited athletes, legacy admissions, children of staff. Uh, and we can kind of get into some of the numbers with that, but then this other point that you're making, um around yeah, around like how it's gonna be kind of incorporated into the essays um yeah they're they're playing i mean it's <laughs> it's gonna be tricky from the admissions committee's perspective because they're they're gonna be walking a very narrow line under quite a bit of scrutiny, um where technically they're still able to consider uh, one's racial, ethnic um, identity in the context of how that has impacted your journey and who you are today, as evidenced in letters of recommendation, one's essay, etc. Um, mm-hmm. They, however, are no longer able to basically collect that data in the application. So there, there will be no box where you check off your race and ethnicity. Um, which opens up a host of other complications where, you know, I was listening to the daily, uh, the New York times podcast, like did an episode on this. And one of the people they interviewed was making, I think the very good and fair point that um, potentially with the way that we've kind of shifted um, now students who are not from um, a sort of underrepresented ethnic minority um, if they wanted to, they could kind of hint heavily in their essays as to, um, you know, their own kind of difficulties related to their racial background, and sort of ma- manipulate this new paradigm, um, in a way mm-hmm. that's just gonna like, I think, very quickly become, um, just complicated.
0: Well, it's messy too. I mean, yeah, whenever there's whenever there's a system people will try to sort of uh twist it to their advantage and then whenever there's a unclear system that just gives more opportunity for that right so they, and the other thing too that's interesting is like i feel like if you in a college admission setting submitted your race as one race and it was actually the other i feel i feel like there was like consequences for that or there was some level of like You know, you have to be telling the truth versus like if you're in an essay saying or heavily implying that you're a race that you're not, especially the heavily implying part, I feel like there isn't really any repercussions for that.
1: It also leaves, you know, kind of puts the onus on admissions committee readers, which.
0: Only be detectives. Yeah. yeah,
1: Like that's not really like what they're trained for. I mean, I think. You know, Harvard released a statement that the statement that you kind of referenced uh, that was that was co-signed by sort of all of their top brass. So their outgoing president, their new president, who is a black woman, who kind of came in right after this decision was released, um, their deans, et cetera, basically saying kind of what you what you referenced that they will continue to while they're going to honor this Supreme Court decision, they will continue to consider. stories around how one's identity impacted your your journey and how that kind of aligns with with the college's goal uh missions values and goals
0: yeah no so it's um it's really for me i think uh the, the first part that i feel like is going to be so okay so what is so if the technically the goal of the current scotus is to say you can't basically like college admissions is federally funded, it's kind of like a protected class of thing. And we're going to say that you can't change it based on things like, or you can't make decisions based on things like race. Um, but you, you pointed out earlier, there's a pretty obvious and probably more troublesome equality issue in a lot of ways, uh, which is legacy admissions. (laughs) I think I saw a statistic that. I believe forty-four percent of white Harvard students are legacy admissions. It's like it's insanely high. It's a ton, right? Um, I need to go. I need to go see if I can double check that. No, like, no, no. It, it's I, I certainly not a negligible, negligible
1: amount. Now. <laughs> I saw maybe the same the same study. I mean, yeah, I I was seeing a, a study um, by the National Bureau of Economic Research said forty-three percent of white students admitted to Harvard. Or recruited athletes legacy students children of faculty and staff or deans That's that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Uh which is basically So that's a, so a, that's the stat I was thinking of. Yeah, Dean's interest is is applicants whose parents or relatives have donated in the past. Um so that's right. 43% of white students compared to about 16% for black uh latino and asian american students. Um so, you know, and then if we broke out, I don't want to just speculate blindly, but, you know, even within that 16, or looking at kind of Black, Latino, and Asian American students, um, mm-hmm. it is quite possible, given that, you know, Black people have only been attending these colleges for a little over a century. In some cases, I mean, with UNC, they started admitting Black students in 1955. Um, it's it's very possible that that number is even even smaller for black and Latino students, smaller than 16%. Um, right. Yeah. So it's like, okay. <laughs> um, at least in the current state, we're upholding um, a, a very clearly kind of um, preferential system that disproportionately um, impacts white students and, and benefits white students um and striking down a system um yeah that was that was the most effective tool that colleges had uh to guarantee a kind of racially diverse class which again is part of what they're selling
0: (laughs) right yeah i mean i think it's interesting um the the legacy admissions things got challenged like the next day so i feel like that i mean it would be interesting to see if they're consistent and then they chop that as well um but I do think that the idea that, you know, private universities have to be a total meritocracy is an interesting one, right? Because it's something that some people feel very strongly about. And then, you know, on the other hand, they're private institutions. I think that it'll be something that unfolds like kind of over over sort of waves. Like the first year is going to be weird. I think like over the next couple of years, like sort of a new system will emerge But in the short term, right? As we're kind of looking at 2023 college admissions and 2024, like how, what do we think sort of the impacts are going to be of this? Um, like, how do we think this is going to change things? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is I think that schools are going to, my guess is that most schools are going to try really hard to reproduce what they already like have in terms of diversity just with less information. That's like my first, that's my first guess, basically.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that that will be their goal. I mean, Harvard has already kind of reiterated their commitment to, um to racial diversity on campus. And, and I think, you know, they're probably in the process of figuring out how they're going to go about that. Um, I mean, I think something first is like important to kind of establish or, or just, mention which is that you know a a school like harvard and its sort of comps have less than two thousand slots that they're filling um and i mean i think for harvard it's like 1600 incoming slots um their applicants like they have far more than that um who would be capable of academically excelling on campus so you know they've yeah way more yeah like out of for the 2019 class, I was seeing stats that, you know, they had 35,000 applicants, about 4,000 with perfect math SAT scores, 3,000 with perfect verbal, um, over 8,000 with perfect GPAs. And I think anybody who's who's gone to these schools can say, it's like, yeah, I mean, once you're there, the hardest part is getting in. And then once you're there, like, you know, I mean, most good students could probably find, find a niche on campus and really thrive. So um, They're already admissions committees are already in like a really tough spot trying to, you know, as these schools have ever declining admissions numbers, you know, four percent, three percent to two percent, are already in the tough position of of differentiating between students, many of whom could thrive academically on campus, and saying, okay, what are like the externalities? What are the other factors that would um, help determine a student's you know, preparedness for, for college, as well as like their likelihood of future success, which is what ultimately they're trying to approximate, you know, like all these sub schools want to get whoever's going to be the president in 20, <laughs> 20, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and so, yeah, like looking at what are these other traits that we can, uh, that we can kind of incorporate that are significant and are indicators Um, I think like in the near term, the admissions committees are, are going to have a lot of difficulty, um, reassessing and figuring out how to still include kind of, um, the significance of one's racial and ethnic background in that picture of a student. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, in, in short, like, I think that they're going to, I think they're going to have to be retrained. I think they're probably going to have to higher um bigger admissions staffs given that review of each individual application is likely to take longer if they're also taking on the role of kind of detective <laughs> um and trying to parse information on one's application to determine like you know oh like perhaps this person is from x background
0: um well that's the thing too is like are they even allowed if if you're if it's like an internal like system right like let's say they have they probably have you know at a bare minimum a spreadsheet of all the applications they have to read and like you know what like people probably rate things or something like is it going to be legal or illegal for them to for them to have like a thing where it's like this person is probably this race right like my guess is that that's probably illegal
1: yeah it's illegal
0: and right so then it's like, but okay. So now you're just like, I really want to admit this guy. Wink, wink. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, you you know, the way that it's structured, at least for a school like Harvard, like they they read and review the applications. They give a sort of score. Um, they you know they have like a rubric of, of qualities that they're looking for. Each reader will give, say, it's on a one to five. I'm not sure exactly what the scale is, but. Um, yeah. as as these admissions officers are starting to look at like okay like we're being they're being retrained to look at a student like holistically you know theoretically yeah the only way to sort of like bake it into the existing system is to say is to like let that kind of color the um the score but again like they're going to be under really tight scrutiny and so if there's if they did manage say to pull off Having the same racial break, breakdown as they did before this decision, you know they're they're probably looking at another lawsuit that wants to investigate how exactly that process um, played out,
0: and so, right. I th- so they they're going to be under the microscope. Yeah, like even just out of fear.
1: Completely, and I I, I think you know I mean they're going to try I'm sure um, versions of affirmative. Ac- you know this decision doesn't impact say like. A kind of affirmative action based on socioeconomic status um slash class based on geography etc so there are other kind of like hobbled together versions where they can look at schools with certain you know racial breakdowns um at the high school level at the zip code level etc but nothing's gonna be um Kind of as successful as as um the old system of, of just like considering that as a factor
0: yeah i mean i think that for for our listeners here who are parents right i think they're all thinking about and and kind of grappling with like these issues and i just for me i guess the biggest thing i want to do with the rest of the episode is try to offer like sort of guidance on how to move forward. Right. Um, I, I think that the I feel like we, we've covered the problems and like they're pretty clear. Right. And I also don't really feel like we know what to do about it other than just like most likely these admissions committees. are. This is all they talk about and have talked about for the last like two months. Um, so we'll see what they come up with. But in the meantime, for parents, I feel like for parents. I don't know, for better or for worse, for white and Asian parents, the you probably change nothing. That's my guess. You you kind of do everything that you were going to do the the same way, um, unless I don't know you maybe wanted to make sure you don't like highlight your race in your essay, which is I don't know I don't know if I can advise that one way or the other, but I do I do think that in the cases of the groups that affirmative action was focused on helping, I think that people in those groups probably should be thinking about how their essay can incorporate that part of their story. Cause I think that that's kind of, it is kind of the only vehicle you have left, right? It's kind of the only like, it's kind of the only pathway you have to like, just make that part of your self known. Um, and so I feel like that's something that's going to take a lot more prominence in the next couple of years, really, um, as, you know, essay writing, I think, is suddenly going to be bifurcated, depending on, like, what race you are. Sure.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, in kind of looking around at at just, like, what admissions experts have said in the wake of this um, versus comparing it to my own opinion, you know, I think, like, okay the the jury's kind of still out in terms of like what's what is the right strategy so um you know some admissions experts are definitely saying black and brown students should absolutely in their essay um if not the the common app personal statement then in their supplementary essays at least once kind of explicitly mention their racial background uh, or their r- racial identity um and so you know, there's there's opportunities to do that in the essays. Some uh, admissions experts also say that your letters of recommendation can be an opportunity, where obviously you don't write them, you don't control what goes in them, but you can signal to uh, whichever teachers you're asking to write them on your behalf. Um, oh, you know, like, I thought, say, say there's a natural tie-in, say, like, you're Um, a Latinx student who is in, who's asking one of your Spanish teachers, your AP Spanish teacher to write a recommendation, um, because you didn't grow up speaking Spanish in the home. Um, Like you, you could be like, Oh, I'm asking you because I thought you could speak to like, how I've how I've not only excelled in the classroom, but I've really like, adopted a sort of cultural aspect. And like, this has helped to kind of bring out um, an aspect of my, my identity. And help me kind of explore it further um Mm -hmm. you could kind of make that suggestion as like this is why i'm asking you um often teachers really appreciate (laughs) if you kind of give an indication of why you're asking them specifically for a recommendation anyway so sort of planting that like it would be helpful if they they made a mention of your um of your racial identity so that that is one school some um experts are are saying definitely kind of find a way to explicitly mention it others i mean it's it's not so much that they're saying that strategically that's a bad choice as that as that they're frustrated with with the kind of options this this new reality leaves us with um so i mean i think you know there's a lot of frustration around how black and brown students will likely feel pressure to make their admissions essays all about race um you know there's there's a common app one of the common app prompts is um some students have a background identity interest or talent that is so meaningful that they believe their application would be incomplete without it this sounds like you please share your story um which seems like yeah a a great opportunity potentially to discuss your kind of cultural background um but I, i do think it would be very unfortunate if all black and brown students felt the pressure to kind of answer that question and narrowly right. focus um on on their racial identity at the expense of like the rest of their story their their interests their activities their passions um everything else that's particular about them so i mean in thinking mm-hmm. about this a lot and like you know both wanting to be to advise students to be kind of strategic Uh, And recognize that things are in flux and like there's no, (laughs) there's no like new system that has been decided upon for students who are kind of applying in this or next admissions cycle. Um, But also wanting to encourage students to like still draw out what is so distinctive about them. Um, I think I I thought a lot about my own kind of college application experience um uh, you know i'm i'm black i'm from the south i went to a majority white prep school um i grew up on the campus of a historically black college like there literally would not have been a way for me to write an essay multiple essays about kind of who i am where i came from without some reference to racial identity um mm-hmm. so i i think you know frankly my my advice is to students if you genuinely feel like your race has had no impact on your life, your upbringing and your kind of intellectual lens on in the world, then feel free not to mention it. But for the rest of us, the vast, vast, vast majority, of course it has impacted, um, you know, even something like how you view climate change, how you view the racial justice protests of of the last three years, how you view COVID and its its implications, like, that's still filtered through the, race, the lens of race because it impacts everything in our, our daily world. Um, and I think you don't have to answer the question in a way that feels inauthentic or caricaturish. Uh, you can still filter your experiences, your passions um, through your identity and just kind of provide context on how that has sort of like deepened your commitment to your existing passions.
0: Yeah, and I also think that um I don't know if this is like cynical to say or something, but like the worst case scenario when you don't include your background in your essays and things like that is that you're just like in the big bucket with everybody, right? Like like you're just kind of, then it's just like not a part of your essay. And I mean, at the end of the day, um, if you truly didn't feel like it fit, then it didn't fit. Right. I think that's kind of the point. Like maybe that's like, if you want to put on rose colored glasses on what SCOTUS is trying to do, maybe that was the, the best possible spin you could have on it. Um, you know, it, it should only matter if it matters. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting.
1: I would definitely advise people against, you know, the sort of inelegant mention, <laughs> like I- anything that's going to okay. feel, yeah, I guess just inauthentic, that feels like you kind of found a way to shoehorn it into your essay. Like, but I would say, you know, to students that I'm working with right now, like uh, in the wake of this decision, if they were planning not to mention it at all, to consider how they could kind of meaningfully write an essay like even if it's one of their supplementary essays um or their short answers um yeah that that sort of yeah explores identity and in, in a yeah <laughs> in a, a kind of
0: I, th- I think I think it's also just like it's just the way the world works right I mean at the end of the day um if you knew that if you could do a handstand it would improve your college admissions chances everyone would be signing up for handstand classes tomorrow right like it doesn't Really, like I think we're all everyone's trying to kind of be successful, right? And, totally. and so you gotta you've got to play the 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 game as it is, not in the idealized version that you think it is. So that's where I would say I would if I were in your shoes, I would do the same thing. I would say, eh, especially this year, like I'd try to f- like find a like a basically a thoughtful way to include it if I needed to
1: yeah I think that that's that's good advice um yeah, I mean it's you know they're, you're basically like trying to pitch yourself on an application and um this should certainly it, it never was and should never be like the only thing that you're telling, <laughs> you're telling about yourself um yeah, that is not you know that's not a sufficiently compelling pitch, but for most students it will inevitably be part of just what kind of makes you you and what makes you like an exciting perspective um yeah freshmen at at any of these kind of elite schools
0: yeah exactly well great any kind of parting thoughts on on this topic before we wrap up um
1: no I, i think we pretty much covered it um i'm sure i'll have Many more thoughts <laughs> immediately following this conversation. But.
0: <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, we can, hey, we can always do another one later. Um, well, great. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Robert Franklin from Admissionado. And uh, you can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course by going to achievable.me. And if you like it, use the code PODCAST to get 10% off.